Welcome to Think, Discuss, Act, the show that gets you thinking more deeply about the great ideas and more. I'm Zach Pritz, along with Terry Roberts and Jeremy Spielman, and today we're talking about time. The format of the show follows our title. We think aloud about a great idea, discuss one of three texts that center on that idea, and end the episode with an offer to act on the idea discussed. Before we begin, here's a little background on who we are. Dr. Terry Roberts is the director of the National Paideia Center and has served as its director since 1993. Prior to that, he was assistant director for the Principal's Executive Program, where he taught a wide variety of courses related to instructional leadership. He is a practicing scholar of American literature and cultural studies with a strong penchant for the classics and holds a PhD in American literature from the University of North Carolina. He is fascinated by the social and intellectual power of dialogue to teach and to inspire. Terry is the lead author of several Paideia publications, including The Paideia Classroom and Teaching Critical Thinking. And in 2019, he authored The New Smart, How Nurturing Creativity Will Help Children Thrive. Dr. Jeremy Spielman is the assistant director of the National Paideia Center. Jeremy is an experienced teacher, principal, system administrator, and school transformation agent. His educational philosophy is founded on asking questions rather than forcing answers and on building consensus rather than driving an agenda. Before joining the National Paideia Center in 2017, Jeremy served as Asheville, North Carolina City Schools Director of Professional Development, Digital Learning, and Gifted Programming. Previously, Jeremy served schools across the state as a district and school transformation coach with the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. As a scholar practitioner, Jeremy is focused on how we become better active listeners. He completed his doctoral degree in educational systems improvement science from Clemson University. And I'm Zach Pritz. I'm a certified National Paideia instructor, and I teach ancient literature at Veritas Christian Academy in Fletcher, North Carolina. Welcome to the show. Now let's get to our conversation. And so our our first question is how might we perceive time differently in regards to age, season, mental space, maybe even physical space, you could say. Um, And so... I guess, should we start with that first question? Uh, yeah. Sure. Terry, you want to kick it off with perception of time? Yeah, I can. I, I would say that I have been fascinated, even mesmerized by the idea of time since I was a child and how time seems to expand and contract depending on where you are, what you're experiencing, uh, your emotional state. All of those kinds of things that affect how we seem to experience the passage of time, that's one thought that I've, I don't know, labored with for for decades, really. And then the second thought that I spent a lot of time with in recent years, the last 10 or 15 years, is the extent to which time really is linear. Um, My gut instinct says that it's not, that past events are um, exist contemporaneously with present and future events. And But this is not how most people think about time or experience time. 
And, and so that requires a lot of explanation. Um, I think it's seasonal. I think it's a function of space. I also think it's a function of nature. Um, to me, the only real valuable experience of time or time keeping has to do with the natural clock, the passage of the seasons, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, etc. So there's a few ideas just to get us started. It's interesting, Terry, you mentioned that, that notion of, of season as measure. Uh, you know, I, I wonder even about our sort of mental seasons, um, as you were sort of talking about earlier, uh, how we're feeling during a certain moment. If we're jovial, does the time pass faster uh, than maybe we would if we were feeling frustrated or upset? So, Terry, you mentioned um, your childhood or how you've thought about time over the years. Is there a specific event or something that you can point to, maybe a short experience or story that specifically um, maybe may cause you to think more deeply about the relationship between time? Even the metaphor of the passage of time mm-hmm. is a is a kind of a linear metaphor. Um, so what, what would you point to in your, your life experience? I think that for me, the, the, the reality of storytelling, in, particularly in my family, for me personally, it could be someone else's family for somebody else, about past events, events that occurred to people that I never knew, events that occurred to people that I knew, but in their past before I was born, um, and then events that happened to people that I knew, my father, my mother, my grandmother, um, even during my lifetime, but for which I wasn't physically present, and that those events often seemed to me as real as something that I experienced myself. In other words, they had a, a visceral reality in my memory and in my experience that was as real as something I experienced, something that happened to me when I was 10 or 20 or 30 or 40. And because of that, slowly I realized over the decades that, and those events didn't fade. It wasn't as though I somehow forgot them. They ceased to be real uh, inside my imagination or inside my memory. Uh, Slowly, I began to think of of time as, as not as non-linear, but as the events in the past and events in the present as coincidental, as all of which happen now, are happening now. And then later, as, as an adult, when I learned about mythology, the theory of myth, all events in a myth are happening now and are happening coincidentally. It's not as though um, Odysseus sails away from Troy and then follows a whole series of events, miraculous events, um, supernatural events, which somehow um, happen in a sequence like beads on a string, but rather the string and the beads are all present. Um, so all of these things to me seem instinctively real. And Jeremy, what, what about you? Can you share a specific experience or moment that 
has struck you in, in your perception of time? You know, Zach, I, I've been thinking about when time most slows down for me, and it's when I'm attempting something uh, that is internal and reflective, but also is maybe, it's when I'm trying to slow down time. So if I attempt to sit still and meditate even for a moment, that minute may feel like five minutes. Um, and why is it that, that it's the same amount of linear time and yet my experience to it feels completely different? Or let's say, for instance, I'm attempting to stretch or, or uh, let's say it's a yoga pose, something I'm not comfortable with. To stay in that pose for even 20 seconds doesn't feel like 20 seconds. So I think that to me is something that's made me think about why is it that we can each experience the same moment and yet uh, time feels different for each of us. And in some sense, it's something that we play a part in, would you say? I mean, if you're generating the, or if you're sitting down to meditate or be in a yoga pose, then you're sort of maybe part of slowing down time. So maybe it's not just a passive thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, that's a really interesting thought that, that, it's my experience, but then it's also whoever's experiencing it with me, um, or if it's by myself, even that notion of just the, the time spent in different spaces. So, yeah, it, it is intentional, but also I think it's somewhat out of our control. Again, with our seminar text selections for this Think, Discuss, Act podcast, and Zach is going to start us off with his offering. So I picked a text, a poem from Wendell Berry, a, uh, definitely one of my favorite writers. So when we started thinking about time, I naturally went back to his collection um, in his Sabbath poems. And so it says, too long for what can be fulfilled in time foredooms the body to the use of light. Light into light returning as the stream of days flows downward through us into night and into light and life and time to come. This is the way of death, loss of what might have been and what must come to be. Light some lost in the having, having to forego. The year drives on toward what it will become. An answer to their names called long ago, the creatures all have risen and replied, year after year, each toward the distant glow. Of its perfection and all glorified, have failed year after year, they all disperse as the leaves fall and not to be denied. The frost falls on the grass as by a curse. The leaves flame, fall, and carry down their light by a hard justice in the universe. Against all fragmentary things, their flight sends them downward into the dark, unseen, empowerment of a universal right that brings them back to air and light again, one grand motion, implacable, sublime, the calling of all creatures, its design. We long for what can be fulfilled in time, though death is, not, though death is in the cost, there is a craving, as in delayed completion of a rhyme. To know what may be had by loss of having, to see what loss of time will make of seed, in earth or womb, dark come to light the saving, of what was lost and what will come repaid, in the invisible pattern 
that will mark whatever of the passing light is made. Choosing the light in which the sun is dark, the stars dark, and all mortal vision blind, that puts us out of thought and out of work, and dark by day, in heart dark, dark in mind, mistaking for a song our lonely cry, we turn in wrongs of love against our kind. The fall returns, our deeds and days gone by, take root, bear fruit, are carried on in faith, our, or fault through deaths all mortal things must die. The deaths of time and pain, the death's own death, in fulfilled light and song, final Sabbath. Thanks, Zach. It's hard not to want to just play, uh, <laughs> knowing that this is such a, a strong piece. And, uh, Terry, would you like to, to read yours? I've got a poem as well, so I, we, we can break it up maybe if you're... Well, I have a sentence. Oh, even... Well, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so... One of the things you learn if you start to study geography is distance across the face of the planet is, me- is, is measured in hours, minutes, and seconds so that um, when you pick a spot on the map, you actually describe where it is, lat- latitude and longitude, not in terms of miles or kilometers, but in terms of time, hours, minutes, and seconds. Distance is a function of time, and, and eventually... The more time you spend studying geography, you realize that in that world, space and time are part of the same equation. That's, that's how we measure it. Um, that's, how it's, that's how it's best understood. Uh, so my quote is a single sentence from Albert Einstein, and it reads thusly, People like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Hmm. Well. Quote, unquote. (laughs) That's a good one. So I've got a poem by Dick Allen. I picked this poem in particular because I was intrigued by the title, Time to Hear Ourselves Think. And I think the biggest reason for wanting to dig into this poem for me was this notion of how we forget or don't consider what's happening while we're thinking as we continue to perceive time. So I'm going to go ahead and read this poem and get us started. We've missed that for years, not so much the thinking itself that goes on regardless, but the hearing of it. Small water wheels turning in mill ponds, the press and hiss of steam irons in storefront laundry shops, gears changing, the tick in the clock hopping upstairs, as if in a muffled slow motion through shock and aftershock. We keep feeling with our hands all thought, outside ourselves, all concepts, Those railroad stations we were always leaving, elevators and courthouse steps hurrying towards collapse. But now that we have stolen this time, I'm beginning to hear numbers. I swear it, little formations of numbers gathering. Strength as their flanks swing east, and pigeons cooing in bank alcoves, and my own pencil tapping, ears popping, the spitting sound made when tires roll over tiny stones. 
and it's almost frightening to think of what is going on, how much lies there scattered or wounded or dead in ourselves that we cannot hear. And again, that's by Dick Allen from 1996. Well, do we want to settle on one here? (laughs) As if we haven't made it easy on ourselves. Well, and again, to the listeners, each three of these uh, texts will be available for download with a podcast plan for you to think about more once you've stopped listening or to potentially have a discussion with a partner, uh, a family, a class, colleagues, whoever it may be. Uh, So if we don't pick the one that you were hoping for, you certainly could try it out and let us know how it goes. Um, My vote is for the Einstein quote. I'd like to talk more about Einstein. That's that's my vote. I'm good with that. Terry? Yeah. No, I'm... uh, First of all, let me say that before we dive in, I love the two poems. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by each one of them. I'm glad I've heard them and I have them in front of me. Um, Einstein and time. I can start us off by by saying, why do you think he calls these things a stubbornly persistent illusion? Why illusion and why <laughs> why stubborn? Right. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. Just even in the sense of of our illusions by by nature stubborn. Mm-hmm. Meaning we've, uh, I don't know, have a bias that becomes inherent or calcified with experience or where our lives are mandated by time as we know it. Meaning the the time on our watch, the the time of the bell ringing, the time of our favorite show. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that that to me, I guess, maybe would make me stubborn is is living around time as we know it. And stubbornly persistent... To me, it seems like something that is difficult to let go of. So to think of time as nonlinear is not going to be the easiest thing to sort of wrap your head around. It's maybe much easier, more comfortable to just think of it in the way that we've always thought of it. Mm -hmm. So think of all of these things converging, past, present, and future. Um, it would, for many, be difficult. And maybe that's the use of the word stubborn there, is that we have certain beliefs that we can't let go of that seem yeah. to hold on. Um, but it seems like what you guys have sort of already stated is that they, with a manner of awareness, maybe these things can be, maybe time can be thought of in a way that's actually more true than how we often perceive it. Yeah. Mm. I do think that it's, it's how we think about time is socially reinforced, right? In other words, we live on clock time. We've got an we've got a iPhone in front of us that's measuring minutes and seconds um, that's telling us where we are in relation to what we've sort of laid out. We agreed we'd meet here today at 4 o'clock. Four o'clock is a myth. It doesn't really exist. It's not a. It's not a real thing. It's just a socially accepted way that we measure something we can't see, and yet it seems to work. We all showed up at the same place at the same time, and so I think the fact that we have agreed to share certain assumptions about time 
help us relate to each other, but they don't, that doesn't make them true in any cosmic sense. Our ancestors, our, let's just go back two generations, our great-grandparents in all likelihood experienced time much differently. And if you go back another two generations in which very few individuals, particularly in rural settings, had watches, they experienced time much differently. The reason there are clocks and steeples in the middle of town is that was the only clock. That was the only timekeeping device. And so I think one of the reasons it makes it stubbornly persistent is that we reinforce it in each other. So do you think that that's also what drives uh, a standardized bell schedule in school, that we followed that that method from industrial time with if we don't tell you what time to finish class, then you might go past or there may not be a, a union with when it's appropriate to shift from subject to subject? Start and stop, sure. So it's a tool. It's a tool and it's, a, it's, a, it's like a ruler in a sense. Um, it's a human artifact that was made to measure something that in, in a way is invisible and that expands and contracts naturally with the seasons. Um, the first definition of an hour was one-twelfth of the period between dawn and dusk. And so for the Romans, dawn and dusk in the summer was much further apart than dawn and dusk in the winter. And in fact, the hour expanded in the summer and contracted in the winter. We just at some point kept missing our appointments with the dentist, and so we had to somehow standardize that across seasons. So all I'm really saying is I think um, what we've done is create something that helps us, in a sense, um, standardize things like Jeremy was talking about. What's the length of third period? How do we know when chemistry will be over? Um, When does the bell ring? So what is a, I mean, one sentence can be complicated to unpack here, Mm -hmm. but what is an implication from the, like, I guess what I'm asking is how would you begin to pull back the veil on this illusion um, with, with past, present, and future? Maybe what's Einstein even getting at here? So one way I think about this, and it's hard to explain, is that time, imagine an event. First of all, let's start with space. Is an event, this, this the three of us will decide, we'll vote, is an event that's happening right now in San Francisco real? We don't see it. We can't hear it. We're not witness to it. Sure, I see what you're saying. It, it, if we have to rely on someone else reporting that, that it happened, if we're not witnessing it directly, does it cease to exist? Right. And so in the same way, an event that happened 10 years ago in this space, maybe in this building, is that real? Well, we can't witness In other words, right. we're not witnessing it. Yeah, that, that sort of takes us to maybe a, a working definition of reality, right? Or mm-hmm. what is real in the sense of how we perceive experience. 
which then I guess you could tie into memory, right? Because how I remember an event, how I remember the national conference and, and talking about time is different than how Zach mm-hmm. remembers it or you remember it. Mm-hmm. We were all mm-hmm. were there. We all witnessed a version of it, but we all have very different sort of mechanisms for, for making sense of what that experience mm-hmm. was. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead, Zach. I'm sorry. Well, is it, or is it even a part of the definition, maybe a spectrum of reality or a spectrum of experience, you could say, because if you hear about the thing that happened in San Francisco, it can become a part of your experience, even though you weren't there. And so you're not going to, you, you didn't experience it in, in, in the physical space, but you, maybe you can experience it through the story, like you were saying, the story that the person tells you, or maybe you were, maybe you were here in the building 10 years ago. So the experience now is a part of your memory and a part of your fabric. So it's not as real as sitting in a room in this room right now is real. It has to be more real than that, mm-hmm. but it, it's still maybe real in a sense of imagination and memory is that i mean would you agree with that or would you say that it's what i would say i guess what i would say is i i've slowly 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 come to think about time as very much like space and so that something that is happening and and we tend to accept that something's happening at a distance is is truly happening Mm. it's real what we don't, it's, it's real in the present moment. So the way I tend to think about time is, is in the same way. Something that happened at a distance in time is just as real as something that is happening at a distance in space. And even though we can't see either event, I... And, and again, you can call it an act of imagination or a leap of faith, but I do think this is what Einstein's getting at. Each are equally real in, at this moment, sure. whatever that means. And so, you know, and again, the only way we understand either is, is through a, the report of another or through memory or et cetera. And so the, what I think... What Einstein, now, Einstein's talking in a sense about physics, too. You know, he, was, he was interested in how space bends and therefore time bends. Time moves faster at some points in space and relative to a, a large object like a planet than it does to an, at another point in space. I mean, he proved that, in essence. Um, so, but this is a step further. This isn't just saying that time bends around large objects. He's saying that the past, the present, and the future are all... One, You know, Terry, it's interesting. You make me think about there was a, a study done in the 50s around um, depriving an individual of light mm-hmm. and how time changed and the perception of time without having light to know when it's dark, what time it is. So if, just by removing the ability to see to take away one of our senses, mm-hmm. how 30 minutes might feel like three hours. Or three hours might feel like a day or 10 minutes. And so why is it that I could record and say I thought my morning took 25 minutes and in fact it was two days? 
how is it that I could possibly be so off on my mental calculation of my perception of time just by eliminating a sense like sight? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It, it does make, it, make you wonder um, how is it that we, we rely so heavily on our other senses to sort of Tell us what understand. time it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. When we do this, we do a seminar um, on time with elementary school students and <clears throat> it's it's a it's a blast i did it one time in which there were two clocks in the room and they disagreed about what time it was so one of the core questions in the seminar was well what time is it mm. which is one it is that right? time or is it that time you know and but one of the things you get to is you can say to fifth graders let's say so what time is it and they can look at their iphones and they can say it's three forty-seven, precisely and I can say, what time is it in Detroit? Yep. And they'll say, it's 2.47. And my reply is, which is it? Right. <laughs> well, that's the and illusion. Ne- the answer is, it's right. neither. But, right. but, but in essence, we, like those fifth graders, we get stubbornly <laughs> attached mm-hmm. to the notion that that digital time now and contemporary sense is is real yeah yeah it certainly drives especially with the amount of travel we do and jumping Mm -hmm. time zones and and relying on a a, an object to tell you which time zone you're in uh and then to to see you know it's not even a matter of checking to to assure that it's right or wrong because we trust in technology Mm -hmm. uh well, I know we could probably talk a lot more about this. Um, Terry, what were you thinking around the sense of sort of action if we did pick your text? What, what was in your mind about what, what do we do now that we've had this discussion? I think one of the things, there are possible things one could do, and, and one of my favorites is create your own calendar. In other words, which, of course, we've done down through down through the centuries, but but think about a year. And, and, and let's just all agree it starts on January 1st and ends on December 31st, 365 days later, except in a leap year. Um, and make your own calendar. You know, how do you want to divide up that space? You can create, you can use months if you want to, but the only rule is you can't make them the same months. You have to make mm-hmm. different months. And what natural phenomenon will you use to break that chunk of time there's that word again time down into units that make sense that help you know that make your life happier more fulfilled more more productive more you know how how would you just like you teach chem you can say to chemistry students you can make your own periodic table it's a human invention. You don't have to live and die by the one that's hanging on the wall. So if you were going to make a calendar for your family, or for your church, or for your school, how would you do it? So is it, is it an, in a sense, a rhythm that you're able to maybe alter? Like maybe the illusion, part of the illusion that Einstein's getting at here is that the rhythm that we've lived by isn't the only rhythm that we have to abide by just because we've lived by it. So maybe there's ways of cultivating in your life, in your family, even in your classroom, 
ways to slow that time down. I remember w at the conference we did that uh, activity with the creating a collage. The mandala. Yeah, mm -hmm. The mandala. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. And watching some people who, who were done in 30 seconds, essentially, and then other people who wanted to continue to work on it. I gave them five minutes, and everybody experienced that differently. So for, so for anybody to sort of reflect and figure out ways, I think part of one of the takeaways is, is that we have the ability to manipulate time yeah. in a way. Zach, I want to take it one step further. My, my thought is, is almost a version of a minuscule version of what Terry was saying. Take a day, take a Saturday, and don't look at the clock. Mm -hmm. and, and what makes me think of that is, is you know, you and I have talked about um, like your temperance with technology on, on having a phone that uh, eliminates some of those pieces and when you choose to utilize it and when not. But I don't know how long I could go without looking at a clock. Even from the moment that mm -hmm. I woke up, just the, the inherent habit of wanting to, to get a sense of how much time is left in my day. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start doing crazy things like eating when you're hungry or sleeping when you're tired or, you know, or... I do think, I think that's, that's an extraordinary exercise and it's a realist, you know, particularly if you, it'd be kind of fun if you did it with people. Sure. You know, just with the people in the household, you and the girls or you and your family. Or a class for that matter. What if one day you could say, today we're not going to follow a standardized bell schedule? It's certainly easier in elementary classes where you might be with them for the full day. But if, if a school was progressive enough to say, we've got this Friday, mm -hmm. and uh, once everyone enters the, the building, we, we cover the clocks and, and we, you know, we don't tell you again what time it is until last last bell rings for dismissal, what would that day look like? Yeah. Well, and how, how does meaning change when you do something like that? Because if you're, if there's a finite amount of time in a classroom, then inevitably you're going to think about, well, what can we get done? Mm -hmm. What can we cram? What can we accomplish? And then the students are thinking about what can or, or the students are either thinking about, I only have 53 minutes left. <laughs> I, can, I can survive this class. I can make it. <laughs> but if it's become, and what is sort of the checklist that I know I need to do in order to hand in my assignment and, and get out of here. Mm -hmm. But if you slow that down and say, then it's almost like we all have to participate in the meaning or we all have to participate in what we're going to do that that we choose to do with the time that we don't know because we're not looking. Yeah. The natural pause for when, when maybe an idea comes to a mm -hmm. close and you could say, I think we're done for now versus we've still got seven minutes. Let's go to the next thing in my lesson plan. Mm. Well, and, and we've let external forces, you know, if we're just thinking about classrooms, we've let external forces speed us up in a way that's, I would say, unnatural. You know, you must go faster, you must go faster, you must know more, you must know more, you must test better, you must test better, and you must be more efficient. And, and one of the things we know for a fact is that learning is not especially um, efficient. Lasting learning isn't done, learned quickly. And, you, and so, you know, there's a crazy way in which we're shooting ourselves in our face. One of the things a lot of sort of innovative, not a lot, a few, because there aren't that many, 
innovative secondary schools are doing is creating big chunks of time, project time, for example, publication time, rehearsal time. You know, in other words, on once a week on Friday, we don't maybe we don't cover the clocks, but we say, okay, this we're now going to be in production period for three hours from now until lunch, or we're going to be in publication period from lunch until dismissal. Yeah. yeah. Terry, do you think people avoid that because they, they worry about the what-ifs of there might be four kids who don't use that time to advantage? I think, I think there's that, and I think there's also... There are all these different ways in which we categorize things. Um, for example, breaking learning down into subject areas. One of the reasons they don't do that is they say, well, we have to have math or the math teachers will be really ticked off. Then we have to have science, you know, because the state says we have to. And we have to have 30 minutes of exercise because, and we have to have, then we have to have language arts, then we have to have social studies, then we have to have Bible, you know. And we have, all of these boxes have to be checked. Um, and because of that, sort of same thing is true with time, we break them up into artificial pieces, you know, and we say if you're doing math, you can't do social studies, and if you're doing social studies, you can't do Bible, and if you're doing one thing, you can't you can't be doing another. They don't go together, when in fact everything about human experience suggests they they do nothing but go together. Mm. Well, and that's it's like a convergence, like he's Einstein's even saying in mm -hmm. the in the sentence here. Um, and I think that that's uh, when you give enough time, there's a sort of, it's like you need enough time for the convergence to take place potentially or mm -hmm. for the memories to come or for yeah. the connections to be made. And it's, uh, you, you lose that opportunity if things are being sped up and if experiences are being rushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can imagine this sentence, and we'll attribute it to, to Dr. Jeremy Spielman. People like us who believe in learning know that the distinction between language arts, social studies, science, and math is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Well, I think we've exhausted our time as much <laughs> as it may exist in, in chunks of 30 to 40 minutes, but uh, I want to say thanks for... for uh, having us Zach and hosting and, and I look forward to doing it again and thank you Terry for provoking some some thinking yeah J Jeremy and Terry I guess we can end this one by saying until next time right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you gentlemen make sure to check out our website www.paideia.org to access the discussion text we used in the Paideia podcast seminar plan if you're interested in having a similar discussion. Thanks for listening to Think, Discuss, Act. Stay tuned for our next episode where we discuss the idea of happiness.